Good evening, this is Michael Miano, and it is my privilege to bring you through some of the details regarding the Chronicles of Josephus for the next couple minutes. On the last podcast, I had shared some of the reasons why it would be important to study the historical writings, to know and understand what historical revisionism is and how that has occurred in many respects, and also to take a look at the Jewish historian Josephus's perspective regarding the Feast of Passover, as he put forth in many of his writings. The three writings, or the four writings, that we mainly talk about, or that Josephus had put together, are the life of Flavius Josephus, which I shared some thoughts about last week, against Apian, which is a um, sort of apologetic regarding the history of the Jews. Um, then there's the Antiquity of the Jews, which is the Antiquities of the Jews, which is basically a historical, um, traditional perspective of the Jewish history and faith. And then, matter of fact, I'm sorry, there's five. There's the Discourse on Hades. And then there's also the Wars of the Jews. So my goal with these Chronicles of Josephus is to offer up insights and details out of these different historical writings that bear upon our understanding of the faith. Now, I am a a 21st century Christian. So gaining a first century understanding from the Jewish perspective is vital to understanding the details that are put forth in the Bible. Again, The details of the Bible do not exist in a historical vacuum. So it's important and imperative, if you will, that we study the context and understand the details of uh, many historical things in our faith, traditions of our faith, interpretations of our faith, through the lens of first century Jews. Passover is an interesting time. Here we are in the, the first full day of the celebration of Passover. And when you read through the writings, as I had shared last week, of Josephus in regards to Passover, you see that he marks out quite a bit of time of trial, especially pertaining to the first century uh, celebration, that uh, first century celebration of Passover, and what happened in regards to the temple and the city of Jerusalem, um, namely there being taken over by the Romans. Uh, We also see that there's a lot of hope. The Jews, you know, they would understand the signs and the seasons, and Passover was a time of renewal. It was a time of examination. So you would also see that a lot of hopeful things would be connected to the celebration of Passover. You also see very clearly God's faithfulness. And what I want to bring out today is that it's also important that you become spiritually discerned. Um, One of the things I'll just bring up here at the beginning is that today is the celebration of what is called Maundy Thursday. And this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is the night that Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, where he took the elements of Passover and he related them to himself, to the New Covenant. So the New Covenant celebration of Passover, if you will, is our, what we call the Lord's Supper, is our communion. And It represents our coming out of bondage to the Old Covenant system or, as Gentiles, our coming out of bondage to uh, ignorance in regards to God. So it represents our coming out of bondage to those things and then coming into freedom, which is Jesus Christ. Those who are in Jesus Christ are free, as Jesus says in John chapter 8. And then Romans chapter 8 verse 1 talks about Um, There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And that, unfortunately, was what 
um, the old covenant carried was the manifestation of sin. So it brought the Jews into the knowledge of their sin, and it also obviously put the Gentiles outside the picture of salvation, whereas the Jews could at least have a law that would help them uh, mitigate the punishment, if you will, or to atone for their punishment that they deserved. The Gentiles were simply wandering about in ignorance, suffering their fate. So we've come out of that ignorance and come into the promised land, into Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, that's a beautiful picture of the spiritually discerned interpretation of the Passover celebration. To review a bit from last week, what I had shared was the importance of learning history. Then I talked a little bit about historical revisionism, namely how Josephus talks about other writers. One of the writers particularly I had talked quite a bit about was Justice of Tiberius, who also went about writing up a history. And Josephus says that his history is wrong. And, you know, and when we look at these different histories, what I had mentioned last week was that we need to try and understand why these people might be writing the history in the frame that they are. You know, what are their um, what are their presuppositions? What are their um, leanings? You know, what, what are the reasons they're trying to bring out that history? Again, this is very important even in our modern day when looking at media and watching the news. You know, it's always important to understand the context of different things being talked about, to understand the frame of reference of the, the reporters and the people giving you the news, um, and then to understand what their leanings are. Again, we see a very uh, conservative liberal divide here in the West, and um, a lot of that plays into the presuppositions and leanings of those particular people. History is no different. And then, of course, I talked about Passover. If I may share with you a quote from Henry D. Labach, 20th century Jesuit theologian, he said something very interesting about traditions. He said, The finest and boldest Christian effort, the freshest and most enduring, has always flourished from the roots of tradition. And that's why it's important to learn about Passover. One of my convictions is that Passover gives us this opportunity to learn a little bit more about what the Jews had celebrated, what their hopes were, and how that was being manifested through the biblical story. What I'd like to point out from Josephus's writings this evening is how he talks about the biblical celebrations of Passover. The first celebration he talks about in Antiquities chapter 5 is the walls of Jericho, the falling of the walls of Jericho, which we read about in Joshua chapters 4 through 6. And Josephus makes note that this happened on Passover. This is what he had to say. So the Hebrews went on 50 stadia further and pitched their camp 10 stadia from Jericho. And Joshua built an altar using the stones which the heads of the tribes had taken from the river at the command of the prophet. And this altar was to be afterwards a memorial of the dividing of the river. Upon it they offered sacrifice to God, and in that place celebrated Passover, with great plenty of everything that they had lacked until now. They reaped the ripened grain of the Canaanites, and took animals as prey. It was then that their former food, which was manna, that they had eaten for forty years, ceased. Joshua resolved to besiege the Canaanites. So on the first day of the feast, the priests, 
guarded by some of the armed men, carried the ark, blowing their seven trumpets, and exhorted the army to be of good courage as they circled the city, with the council following them, and did nothing more but return to camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, Joshua gathered all the armed men and the people together and told them that the city would now be taken, as God would on that day give it to them by causing the walls to fall down. When he had said this, his army in order, he set his army in order and brought it against the city. They went around the city again, the ark going before them, and the priests encouraging the people to be zealous in the work. And when they had round, gone around it seven times, and stood still a little while, the wall fell down, while no instrument of war or any other force was applied to it by the Hebrews. Again, this was a glorious thing. This was the first major defeat of Israel against a fortified city as they entered into the promised land. And this is where they got to see God move mightily on their behalf. And what Joshua is telling us, uh, what Josephus is telling us, is that this reality and the story of what Joshua was telling us about the fall of Jericho took place on Passover. I find interesting the comment on this uh, reading that I'm going through. It says, in the book of Joshua, the Jordan was crossed on the 10th of the month, while Passover on the 14th. We read this in Joshua chapter 4, verse 19, as well as Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. Then, according to Josephus, the walls of Jericho fell on the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But the Bible itself is not so clear. There is an unspecified time between Passover celebration at verse chapter 5, verse 10, and the taking up of the ark in chapter 6, verse 8. Josephus may be following a contemporary interpretation, guided by the concept that Passover is the time for significant events to occur. So again, there you see that, um, that perspective of historical revisionism, that what they're saying here is that quite possibly Josephus simply said that this happened on Passover because the Jews had this tradition, this interpretation, if you will, that God did mighty things for them on Passover. So again, Joshua attributes the, wall, the fall of Jericho to Passover. This could have been a presuppositional tradition that was taught in his day. Again, gives us um, a powerful picture of God working on Passover, but not necessarily perfect history. The second accounting that Josephus shares in regards to uh, biblical celebrations of Passover is when Hezekiah reinstitutes the celebration of Passover in Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 1. This is what Josephus has to say. When Hezekiah began to reign in Jerusalem, he thought that nothing was more necessary or more advantageous than to worship God. The king set a proclamation to the regions that were under his rule and called the people to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for it had not been observed for a long time, out of the wickedness of the previous kings. In addition to what the multitude sacrificed themselves, the king bestowed on the 2,000 2, bulls and 7,000 cattle, 7,000 other cattle, and this festival had not been so well observed from the days of King Solomon, as it was now first observed with great splendor and magnificence. When the festival was ended, they went out into the country and purged it and the city of all the polluted idols. Uh, the, the comment here, the little commentary that's offered up is the editorial remark that the festival had not been so well observed since Solomon is not a remark by Josephus, but is actually from his biblical source, 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 26. This is an example of how careful 
one must be when reading Josephus. One is tempted to ascribe assorted comments and opinions to the author, when in fact he may be merely transmitting the words found in his source. The next celebration that Josephus brings up is King Josiah and his reforms, which are mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 23. This is what Josephus has to say. And after King Josiah had thus sanctified all the country, he called the people to Jerusalem, and there they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover. He also gave the people for paschal sacrifices 30,000 lambs and young kids of the goats, and 3,000 oxen for burnt offerings. And indeed there had been no other festival thus celebrated by the Hebrews from the time of Samuel the prophet. And because there were plenty of sacrifices, everything was be able to be performed according to the laws of their forefathers. A comment that is added here by the commentator is, as with the Hezekiah passage, it is not Josephus' own comment that this was the best festival since the time of Samuel the prophet, as this remark is based on the Bible. And this comes from the writing First Edris, chapter 1, verse 20, which is found in some Bibles. However, if you're reading the Protestant 66 books, that book is not a part of your canon. And this compares it less specifically to the time of Judges. Josephus's details concerning the number of sacrifices do not appear in the known Bible, but rather he infers them from the statement that the feast was held according to the law. The fourth and last biblical celebration of Passover that Josephus brings up is the first Passover celebration in the second temple, which is brought forth in the details of Ezra chapter 6 verse 22, also written by Josephus in Antiquities chapter 11. This is what Josephus has to say. The construction of the second temple was with great diligence completed as prophesied by Haggai and Zechariah, according to God's commands and by order of the kings Cyrus and Darius. As the Feast of Unleavened Bread was at hand, it being the first month, which the Macedonians called Xanaticus, but we call Nisan, all the people streamed out of the village to the city to celebrate the festival in a state of purity with their wives and their children, according to the law of the fathers. They offered the sacrifice, which was to be called Passover, on the fourteenth day of the month, and then feasted seven days. They spared no expense, but offered whole burnt offerings to God and performed sacrifices of thanksgiving, because God had led them again to the land of their fathers and to its laws, and had disposed the mind of the king of Persia favorably toward them. So for these reasons, the men offered the largest sacrifices and used magnificence in the worship of God. They dwelt in Jerusalem, making use of the aristocratic form of government that was mixed with oligarchy, for the high priests were at the head of their affairs, until a monarchy was established under the Hasmonean dynasty. Comment by the commentator here was, The Jews of Babylon were allowed by the Persian kings to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the destroyed temple. Again, this is after the 70 years uh, in captivity in Babylon that was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah and ultimately came up to bear upon the history of, the, of Israel. The second temple was completed on the 23rd day of the 12th month, Adar, only three weeks before the Passover. Thus, the first celebration in the new temple was as put forth in Ezra chapter 6, verse 22. 
Uh, some interesting details there. Again, we see that the celebration of Passover was one that was noted to be done with great extravagance, kind of like our contemporary birthday celebrations or New Year's celebrations. Um, it, it's a glorious time where God was seen to move on behalf of his people. Another interesting detail is in regards to the Roman Jewish War, which is of course mentioned in the Antiquities of the Jews as well as the Wars of the Jews. And you see a very calamitous time come upon the city of Jerusalem and the inhabitants of Jerusalem that did not listen to Jesus Christ's words when he said that when they saw these times, again, of importance here is reading Matthew chapter 23 in context with Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus declares judgment upon the city of Jerusalem and the religious leaders, telling them that the prophets had come to them, that they had killed the prophets, and that they were going to suffer desolation. And then in Matthew chapter 24, what is known as an end times passage, those details are brought forth in regards to what is going to occur in those last days. Those last days of that old covenant system, of that temple system, which was all going to come under God's judgment. So, sure enough, the Roman Jewish War is known to have started at the start of the Feast of Passover. This is important because God was moving on behalf of his people. However, now it was shifting from this national Jewish identity to those that were in Christ. And Josephus also says, which is worthy of note, that the, Roman, uh, the Romans besieged Jerusalem for five months from Passover, which he mentions in Wars chapter 5, to the 8th of Elul, which he mentions in Wars chapter 6. And this was in fulfillment of Revelation chapter 9, verse 10, where it talks about, again, so much there about the Roman uh, armies and the, 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 um, the zealots and all those details. That The book of Revelation must be understood in light of first century Jewish history. And sure enough, in Revelation 9, 10, it says they had the power to torment people for five months. And sure enough, the Romans besieged the city of Jerusalem for five months. You can learn more about this from Daniel Marias and his commentary at revelationrevolution.org. He gives you so much historical interpretation of the book of Revelation and many other writings found in the Bible. Um, it's definitely worth your uh, going over there and checking out. Also, as I was doing some research and just to sort of end this podcast, I had found a link where they offered up a chart that gave you the historical details of Revelation and also the prophetic interpretation through the book of Ezekiel and um, kind of shows you how the Roman Jewish war is fulfilling Ezekiel and the book of Revelation at the same time. Um, that link is Bible.ca backslash revelation, backslash a bunch of other stuff. So what I'm going to do, if you're listening to this podcast, you simply click on the link and in the bottom information tab, I'll have listed both revelationrevolution.org and the other link that gives you the details in regards to Josephus's history, the book of Revelation, and the book of Ezekiel. At this time, I would simply say Chag Samiak, that is Happy Festival. Thank you for learning some of these details with me in regards to Passover, the history of the Jews, and the Chronicles of Josephus. I look forward to edifying you with more detail, details from Josephus in weeks to come. Go in peace. God bless.